0: Have you ever wondered which skills are the most important when it comes to school readiness? Should you be teaching your child how to recognize alphabets? Should you be teaching them how to start reading? Well, in this episode, we're going to argue against that. We'll discuss what research says are the most important skills that your child needs to be ready for school. I am Cindy Hevington, and this is Curious Neurons. Welcome to Curious Neuron, a podcast about child development and education with information that is backed by science. I am your host, Cindy Huffington. I have a doctorate degree in neuroscience and postdoctoral training in education. My specialties are understanding how the brain develops and how play promotes learning. I love searching through science articles to see what I could apply with my own three kids, and I want to share this information with you. Follow Curious Neuron on Instagram to vote for the topics I'll cover and send in your questions for the experts. For more information, visit us at CuriousNeuron.com. Hi there! Welcome back to the Curious Neuron Podcast. In today's episode, we're talking about school readiness. So, what does it mean when I say school readiness? Um, You might think that I'm talking about whether or not, your child knows their alphabets, how to recognize their alphabets, how to count, um, how to read sight words. But that's not what I'm talking about today. Today, I really want to focus on important skills that are covered in research in terms of being really pivotal for a child's academic life. You know, um, I've been getting a lot of emails asking me how to prepare a child for kindergarten, and uh, my answer is always come back to play through play there's so much to be learned and um, even if you do want to sit down and show your child you know how to recognize alphabets there are ways to do it through activities that are fun Um, because they're so young and they will have a life ahead of them where they have to sit at a desk and listen to a teacher speak and, and teach them and right now especially in the preschool years what you want to do is feed and nurture that curiosity that they have that sense of wonder that to me is really the most important part when they're young and all this could be done through play. So when I connected with my uh, guest today, Rebecca, I was so excited because she shared very similar views that I have in terms of play and learning. And I mean, we are totally on the same frequency in, in terms of how important it is. And today, my episode is all about which skills a child can learn through play. And Rebecca outlines this beautifully. And I'm really excited to get to my, my podcast interview with her. So I don't want to keep you waiting any longer, here is my interview with Rebecca. My guest today is the owner of Learn Play Girl Consulting, which is a private educational consulting practice that specializes in play-based learning for young children with diverse abilities. She coaches parents on how to promote positive behavior and works with schools, training educators on inclusion for learners of all abilities. It only takes a few minutes of chatting with my guest where you get and you understand her deep passion for children and for play. You can reach her at learnplaygrowconsulting.com and on Instagram or Facebook. My guest today is Rebecca Wiener. Hi, Rebecca. Hi, I'm so
1: excited to be here. <laughs>
0: Thank you so much for joining me. I'm I'm really excited to talk about this because we're talking about play, and I did a few episodes back, I spoke about playing really young children, but today we're talking about play in y- older children, and actually the topic is really readiness, school readiness, and some people might not realize that we're going to talk a lot about play. <laughs> yes, it's yeah. critical. Yes. So I'm really excited to link play and learning and to give parents information and so that, you know, I'm hoping by the end of this, you know, episode that we'll have covered, you know, how a parent could through play foster the skills that they that a child needs to do well in school and to be ready for kindergarten. So let's start with I guess my first question is You know, do you think play has changed? (laughs) Let's let's just talk about play in general first. Um, Over the past years.
1: Yes, I think that our notions of childhood and play have come to mirror our notions of adulthood and work. Mm. We as adults are very goal driven and task oriented. We need to know what we've accomplished and have proof of that accomplishment. And we impose that upon children. So we like the worksheets and the flashcards and the checklists and the art projects that look exactly the same for all of the children. And it isn't true to what children need. They each have unique needs. And play is a spontaneous, joyous way of building on their strengths and expanding their interests. And we seem to have lost that spirit of play in our very goal-driven, task-oriented world.
0: Mm-hmm. That's well said. And even the way that I look at play now, the way that I was raised, and play would just be go outside and figure it out. <laughs> right? It wasn't about anything very structured. Um, parents never really sat down with us to teach us, you know, our alphabets, or we learned that in school. But play for us was being outside and making mud pies.
1: <laughs> That's fascinating. Yeah. I had a slightly different experience. I had a very choreographed childhood. So from the age of two, I was Mm -hmm. enrolled in dance class, and then my brothers and I all did sports and all of these extracurriculars. And I think my parents' intention was to expose us to a variety of interests and build a variety of skills. Mm -hmm. But, for example, I was at my niece's basketball game a few months back, and I looked around this gym, and I tried to take her perspective. She's running up and down the court. The coach is screaming at her. Her parents are screaming at her. The crowd is cheering. There's a referee. There's a score. And if you take it back a generation and a half, kids left after lunch, went outside, chose their sport, designated their teams, created their own rules, and came back before dinner. But now we have this highly mechanized, adult-supervised, goal-oriented, scoring, critiquing childhood. I just felt for her. (laughs) <laughs> Whatever happened to just playing basketball? <laughs> it's true.
0: <laughs> so what do you think um, w- w- parents should do right now? Or what sort of advice um, do you have for parents with, let's say, children between the ages of, would you say, three to six?
1: Yeah. That what is can bril- they do? Yeah. It's a brilliant time to build on their interests and learn through play. Right now, we're in a unique situation. We are living through a pandemic and our environments and our choices have been curtailed. So Mm -hmm. many families are at home and there are an infinite number of opportunities to learn through play while at home. And when certain restrictions are lifted, there are safe ways to engage outside the home in play. But I think because many children were outside the structure of daycare or preschool and because families are already looking to the fall, when their children enroll, they're working backward from that goal and thinking, how can I prepare my children? And more often than not, play is not on the schedule. Mm -hmm. So I would love to put it at the top of the schedule and help families understand that play is not only how children learn, it's how they learn how to learn. And when we can observe their play, when we can follow their lead, when we can build on their interests, we can expand their skills in a joyful way that not only invests in our relationship and our connection, but also fosters the very skills we think they need going into school.
0: Mm -hmm. And I guess as a parent that would be listening to this, I would wonder, okay, with you have a background in this, you have a master's degree, how can I as a parent without this sort of background or knowledge, know how to, I guess, guide my child in play?
1: That is a great question. When I begin parent coaching with a family. I start by debunking rather, <laughs> the myth of modern parenthood. I think that our culture has this myth that in the time that it takes to gestate or adopt a baby, parents magically become experts in <laughs> medicine and nutrition and psychology and education. And that is not human, it's not realistic. Mm-hmm. And so many parents who come from such different backgrounds, artists and plumbers and architects and engineers, hold so much shame for not knowing how to stimulate their children's development Mm -hmm. when they were never trained in that. I Mm -hmm. don't know the first thing about civil engineering or how (laughs) to unclog a toilet. You would not want me doing those things. So it is the wise among us that own our strengths and ask for help when we're beyond our depths.
0: But you're right. We place a lot of guilt on ourselves and we just feel that we should know this rather than saying we shouldn't but we could learn.
1: Exactly, what a beautiful reframing.
0: Mm. What a beautiful Mm. reframing. Our children are our greatest
1: teachers and as their needs present themselves, that's our opportunity to learn. And again, the wisest among us will own our strengths and ask for help rather than ignoring the child's need or trying to shut it down because it runs the risk of anxiety or inferiority Mm -hmm. or any number of emotions that parents may feel.
0: I love that you said learning um, from watching our children because this is something I o- I often stress. Even with babies as young as three, four months old, um, you know, looking to see what they're interested in. Are they looking at a certain toy while they're on their tummy? If they started crawling, are they crawling towards the stairs? Well, then they they're curious about the stairs and they want to learn how to crawl. You know, climb on them, uh, climb up the stairs. Um, yes. But now you're saying the same thing applies even with older kids. Um, Absolutely. So observing them and trying to understand what they are curious about is how we would play with them? Exactly.
1: Mm -hmm. I'm a storyteller educator, so I'd love to share a story from the early years of my teaching. I was teaching in an early intervention program in Los Angeles, and I had a little boy who would come every morning and tell me, Miss Rebecca, I want to write it all night long. (laughs) I don't know about you, but when I hear those words, it conjures up some inappropriate images. (laughs) So I first started to draft this conversation with his foster parents. And then I decided to get curious and to observe. And when I observed his play, he was forever constructing racetracks. When we would go into the gym, he was zipping and zooming. And that was about the time that the movie Cars came out. So over Thanksgiving break, I told myself, I'm going to watch this movie so I can talk to him about something that he is really passionate mm-hmm. about. I'll invest in our relationships. Lo and behold, the Rascal Flatts song says, life is a highway. I want to ride it all night long. <laughs> this child was not using inappropriate language. He was bonding with me by sharing with me his favorite song, though out of context. <laughs> Imagine if I had not gotten curious, I would have trespassed upon so many boundaries and missed so many opportunities for building on his interests. But when we observe our children and we see what they're curious about, what they're challenged by, what they're eager to explore, we can be with them and take it one step further.
0: hmm <laughs> that was beautiful it's true, and you know something that really stood out to me is is you said you know we have to invest in our relationship yes. uh, you, that you invested in your relationship, and we need to do the same as parents invest in the relationship with your child and and discover who they are, and that's how you'll create that attachment that bond and that understanding of each other too and i I, I would argue that it might have a diff- uh, it might have an impact on behavior as well. By Absolutely. Mm-hmm. When
1: I coach parents, I talk to them about noticing and narrating. When we notice what our children are doing and we affirm that we see it by narrating, I do this in a five to one ratio. So I'm positively noticing and narrating what a child is interested in, what they're trying, what they're struggling with and trying again, five times more often than I direct or redirect. Mm -hmm. That's how I invest in the relationship so the child feels seen and feels heard and feels known and feels supported so that when I have to redirect or say no or tell them that their favorite thing is over, that relationship is strong and secure. Mm -hmm. Nobody likes when somebody only says negative things or tells them what they're doing wrong or tells them what they can't do. Mm -hmm. We have to take the child's perspective and invest in that relationship positively so that we can do the work of parenting
0: Mm -hmm. and you're right even as adults we we wouldn't want to hear somebody saying no to everything or criticizing everything that we do or redirecting every single thing that we would do during the day so i think it's important to keep that in mind yeah so now absolutely we're talking a little bit about play but now how a parent who has a child who will start kindergarten this september what should they Um, keep in mind while they are playing with their child? Should they be sitting down and, you know, bringing out alphabets and and numbers and, and teach them how to count? Or should they be playing with cars and animal figurines? I think it's an eclectic mix based on the child's level. So
1: often when I work in home with families, They've got these number flashcards up on an easel and they're quizzing their children and their children are just shutting down. Mm. They're not accessing learning. They're not grasping the concepts and the parents are inadvertently destroying their relationship with their child. Mm -hmm. But when I get on the floor with them and I say, it looks like you're really interested in your son knowing about numbers. Why don't we number the cars on his racetrack? Why don't we build a parking lot for all of his race cards, and we'll put numbers in each parking spot. Why don't we count his favorite food for snack? We're embedding numeracy, the words for numbers, seeing the physical quantity within things that are important to him, and that is planting and nurturing that seed over and over again. Mm -hmm. This very family that I'm thinking of, they were very concerned about their kindergartner learning his sight words And he was very concerned about Star Wars. So rather than sitting him at a table and drilling him on flashcards, we dressed up as Star Wars characters and we used his new Angry Birds slingshot to (laughs) launch things at the flashcards that were put all over the wall. He's reading on grade level. There's just so many different ways to do it. We wrote the words on note cards and we went on the trampoline and we made sight word popcorn. He would read some and for every five words he read, we got to jump and throw them all around. We played sight word hide and seek. We hid the cards all over the house and then we had to go find them and describe where we found them. Great position words and then draw a treasure map for where they were. So many different ways for us to learn exactly what parents want them to know in such creative ways that the children don't feel like learning is imposed upon them, but rather it's an engagement with them. Mm -hmm.
0: And I guess going back to a parent who might feel that they don't know enough, what can they do? Are there websites or who can they reach out to? Or do you just recommend, like you said, following your child so that they know what to do? Like what, how can they know or come up with examples that you just gave us? That's
1: a really good question. I'm a strong proponent of observing children, following their lead, building on their interests and then scaffolding learning. So if we see, for example, that a child is really interested in building towers, can we somehow embed block imitation, which is part of a standard IQ assessment, into that activity? If we notice that a child is really interested in the colors of the rainbow, how can we embed colors when we go to the grocery store or when we're out in the garden? It's Mm -hmm. so... Amazing to me how opportunities for learning are all around us. But our definition of learning and teaching has become so rigid that we don't see those possibilities. Mm-hmm. And we I feel see. like we have to go buy that toy or order that curriculum. Yes. When in mm-hmm. fact, when we're really present, learning is all over. And children, for the most part, are brilliant guides. We just need to pay attention and take it one step further.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I, before I go into my next question I just want to uh, maybe uh, give more information to parents when you talk about the blocks um, can you describe what you mean when you I think it means like copying what you're doing with the blocks or the tower exactly yeah okay. so if yeah.
1: you were to build the tower can the child imitate mm-hmm. and I have a block set that's really interesting it's called mental blocks and it has different shape blocks with different patterns on them and it Is comes that- with Is it by learning resources? It is. It's one of my favorites. Yes, I have. And (laughs) so it comes with these cards and the goal, the designated goal for the activity is for there to be block imitation. But I love to do it in a totally different way. So I will cover my eyes and pick a card, give it to the child, and the child has to describe using their descriptive words and their prepositions. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to follow their directions verbatim and see if we can actually build it. Oh, that's amazing!
0: And there, some blocks have uh, are just plain. Some have dots, and some have stripes. Right. Exactly. So it's really interesting to see a child trying to figure out, okay, where is the one? Where is the similar one? But like you said, exactly, it's, it, it can get really complex for a child, and it's it's fun to play. I, I agree with you.
1: Almost any toy, game, book, what have you, can be scaffolded. Meaning, we can take the most simplistic way of engaging and then go far beyond. So when I do play-based learning with families that have multiple children, we might start with a simple game such as Candyland. And -hmm. for the youngest siblings, we're working on color matching and counting. And for the older children, we're working on strategy. They don't take just one card. They take three. And then they have to explain which one would be most advantageous and why. Mm -hmm. Same game played in a totally different way. We can all play together and we can each build our skills to the next level.
0: I love that. And playing board games is really important, especially even for young children, just to learn how to wait for your turn and including them and forgetting about the age range of the game, um, but including them. And like you said, scaffolding, starting at a really simple way to play it. So um, I've done what I've done with my kids is um, go fish. And yes. even if my kid, my, my child was um, two years old and my other one was four, we would play, but like you said, differently. And my two-year-old would put out, let's say, three cards on the floor so that he could see them and I could see yes. them and help him. And then it would help him match while my other one was holding them and, and learning how to hide them from us and to pick her own card and to make her own decision. And I think yes. you can do that with just about any board game um, Absolutely. even if they're games for 10 year olds and you have very young children like you said look for something that you could do in terms of their level and again i think that's being in tuned with what their interests are and what they have learned uh, if it's colors you stick with that if it's counting have the young one count the little could be anything part of the game any part of it um but yes i think that's a really important point that you brought up and that's and learning that-
1: it is learning. And I love that they played that together. So the four-year-old yes. is building the flexibility to understand that the two-year-old has a different level of understanding yes, and needs true. to play it that way. Mm-hmm. And the four-year-old can patiently wait for the two-year-old to do it in the two-year-old's <laughs> own way.
0: Yes. That is a life skill right yeah, there. Exactly. So now let's, let's move more into those skills, right? So when we talk about starting school, what in your opinion, are the most important skills that a child should have?
1: I truly believe that social and emotional development is so much more important than academics. Mm -hmm. Yes, we want our children to have exposure to concrete concepts such as colors and shapes and numbers and letters. But more important is their ability to self-regulate, their ability to focus their attention, their ability to persist in the face of challenge, Their Mm -hmm. ability to take perspective and be empathic, that's how they're going to access learning in a community setting such as a
0: school. Mm -hmm. Those skills are critical. And there's actual research behind that, too, and talking about the social emotional skills and that that aspect of self-regulation. If a child struggles to sit in the classroom and wait for their turn or to regulate their own emotions then they will continue to struggle in school, not because they don't have the academic abilities, but because they're not able to self-regulate. Exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. And... Um, there was an interesting article also by Diamond and Lee um, in, in the Science in Journal in 2011 that spoke about four skills that touch upon what you said. So they spoke about creativity, flexibility, self-control and discipline being the four skills that would, would help a child thrive in school um, rather than putting emphasis on the academics. So now you spoke a, lo- a little bit about self-control and, and self-regulation. How can a parent um, teach their child this? Skill. I, I truly believe that
1: play is the birthplace of <laughs> everything that we're seeking to cultivate. <laughs> so curiosity, creativity, critical thinking, communication, collaboration, they all come from play. I loved your idea about playing cards or board games. That's a great way to practice turn-taking and frustration tolerance <laughs> and persistence in the face of challenge. When we really dig deep into what we're doing, the skills are all there. We just have to see them and give ourselves credit as grown-ups that were involved in a learning task, and give our kids credit that they're mm-hmm. facing these challenges and growing from them.
0: Mm-hmm. And modeling too, right? Modeling the, the that self-regulation for them. And I think it's during play that we get. Um, a sort of control over the situation, right? So, if a a child who's around three or four has an emotional outburst, um, for whatever situation, we we don't have control over everything. But during play, if we're sitting with them and they build a tower and it falls, with their if, you know they build a block tower and everything falls and they lose control, then I find because of the situation, we have a little bit more control of what's going on and we know exactly what the cause of that emotional outburst is and it it helps us guide them and give them a bit more guidance to control their emotions I guess exactly Mm -hmm. how many
1: times have parents had one kid run to them crying because something happened but they didn't actually see the thing that happened exactly they have to fish through well what was the antecedent and who did what and who (laughs) is quote-unquote in trouble and who is quote-unquote innocent (laughs) And when we're engaged in play, when we're really observing, we're seeing all of the challenges as they happen. And like you said, we can model. So when Mm -hmm. that tower falls down, kaboom, (laughs) The tower fell down. When the child gets upset, you are so angry. Your tower fell down. So we're narrating for them. We're giving them the emotional vocabulary. When they're calm again, we can model for them how we can rebuild.
0: Mm -hmm. That doesn't
1: happen on worksheets. That doesn't happen on
0: flashcards. (laughs) Exactly. It's true. Um, And I guess now, given the time, like you said, things are different right now, right? So parents have their children home with them and they're not going to school. So there might be that extra stress um because they're home Uh, what advice i i I know i know it'll go back to play (laughs) but what (laughs) advice (laughs) what advice would you give parents right now that are maybe a little bit anxious about the fact that their child will start school and they weren't in daycare for the past few months
1: it's a real concern and i've been telling families for the last few months that i think our life curriculum right now is about resilience and resourcefulness and children feed off of our emotion. So if they mm-hmm. sense that we're anxious about what they are and are not learning. That is going to be internalized. But if we become more confident as adults that opportunities for learning are all around, then we don't have to spread that anxiety, and we can practice the very resourcefulness that we're trying to cultivate.
0: Mm-hmm, well said, yeah. Um... And I think, I, I'm thinking also maybe of a parent who has a child who might be autistic. Mm-hmm. Um, would would you offer them the same advice um, in terms of play and guided play? Or is there a little extra something that they should know?
1: That's a really good question. Many children who experience autism thrive on structure and predictability. And this pandemic has robbed them of that. Mm. So whereas For some children, I would urge parents, observe them, follow their lead, build on their interests, expand them. For a child that needs more structure, I would urge families, create a visual schedule of Mm -hmm. blocks of time, sequences of activities. You can even have pictures of you with the child or pictures of the child alone so that the child knows whether or not there will be support or whether or not they need to navigate independently. When it comes to play, there needs to be infinitely more modeling, directly teaching the skill. So I use a strategy that I call bridging. When I'm working in a classroom supporting inclusion, rather than telling a child, go play with your friend, or go build a tower, I'm going to model the very activity that I want the child to engage in. I'm then gonna narrate what I'm doing. Wow, I'm building a tall tower i'm going to invite them to join me so they have the modeling they have the direct invitation and once they're engaged i'm going to fade myself i've created the structure they need to access the activity to model to reinforce what they're doing and then to gradually fade Mm -hmm. but for children who experience autism they will need more structure and support and that's a blessing to them
0: Mm -hmm. would other children also need structure uh for their you know everyday activities does that usually help many
1: children thrive Mm -hmm. on structure and i've been (laughs) speaking with many families who feel like because they're going nowhere and some children have rebelled against zoom because it's just devastating (laughs) to them to see their friends but not get to hug them having some semblance of a schedule and i really urge families let that be a sequence of activities let that be a routine rather than a rigid at 11 o'clock we're doing this and 11 30 we're doing that because Mm -hmm. if we're really attuned to the needs of our children there are going to be times when they need to take a little longer with this or we worked so hard to set up that activity and they were done in two and a half minutes Mm -hmm. and we just need to roll with that
0: yeah that's true um i i think another part of being home is the fact that we might parents might be busy right they might be working and have their kids at home and they might not have that time to play but there is also yes. a balance in terms of giving them that time to play before you start work let's say if you have a meeting at nine um, yes. to sit with them that hour or half hour before to, to you know I, it's it, it gives them that security that feeling of being loved and connected to you and that'll allow them to be uh able to stay on their own a little bit longer exactly. Um, and then balancing that with working and going back to see them to play with them I I think might help them
1: I love what you're saying we're Mm. investing in the relationship before Mm -hmm. we need to step away reassuring them that you will be back and then checking back in with them I've spoken with families where siblings are really struggling when mom or dad needs to be on a zoom call Mm -hmm. so they've created a plan they have together play time immediately before the Zoom call. During the Zoom call, they each follow their own independent play plan. And then after the Zoom call, they come back together and do show and tell and talk about what they each played. So everyone has a designated role, a designated place. Mom and dad don't need to run interference during the Mm -hmm. Zoom call. And the coming back together is a celebration.
0: I love that. That's so important. And it's, it's again, part of the whole (laughs) like, <laughs> yes. Right. It, yeah, and it's just that relationship, and and it's so beautiful to hear about that because it's it's just showing how everything just fits well together when there's a schedule, when there's an understanding and a trust, and in that relationship between the parent and the child.
1: Yes, and I'd love to offer some reassurance for families who are at home, who are afraid that they're not getting all the learning in, and who mm-hmm. don't have endless amounts of time to be on the floor playing with their children. Mm -hmm. Daily routines are also a great way to learn skills. So every day, we get up and we get dressed. Getting dressed involves learning about the weather, which is science, making choices or planning ahead if you choose the night before, the sheer number of motor skills that go into getting dressed. It's a miracle that any of us have clothes on. (laughs) Then when we're in the kitchen, we've got to make three meals a day. So. Kids can be with us. Do they want to do a magnet scavenger hunt and stick things to a cookie sheet? Do they want to sort their favorite toys in muffin tins? Do they want to read the recipe or sequence the ingredients? Maybe we want to talk about where the ingredients come from. That's a great science and nature Mm -hmm. lesson. Or what's a solid versus a liquid? Mm -hmm. Um, Then when we're in the bath, everyone's got to get clean. That's a brilliant sensory experience. And I love doing sink or float experiments that's everyday science Mm -hmm. yeah and making dream worlds with toys my niece and nephew in maryland decided to create a swimming pool in their um bathtub so they can't go outside (laughs) so they put on their bathing suits and they built a lifeguard stand and they brought in all their tools including their pool noodles and they (laughs) had so much fun (laughs)
0: That sounds fun. I want to do that too. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. And you're bringing up such important points in in terms of there's so much learning in our daily chores. And we, we tend to, as parents, use that time to ask your child to do something independently and to be on their own. But by including them and creating that conversation and that curiosity around what we're doing, that's where the learning is and these are skills that they will use in school and yes. that in the being independent so i received a question from a parent saying that um, they felt uh, a little worried about how independent a child would have to be by the time they started kindergarten so that's an, that's you touched on this right now and in the sense that when you take that time to, you know, get dressed with them and, and show them how to put on their clothes. And then maybe uh, this, this parent brought up, you know, a lunchbox. Opening and closing a lunchbox isn't easy, but maybe right. including that in your daily life right now, since we're home, Absolutely. Um, you know, putting their snack in their lunchbox so that they, they learn how to use it now.
1: Exactly. You mm-hmm. can even hide favorite toys in there and it becomes a treasure box. When you're eating together, leave the food in containers and mm-hmm. let the child experiment with how to open them. Yes. I think so much of our anxiety around readiness is really our discomfort with children's discomfort. We don't mm. want them to struggle. Yes, so true. we preempt and we mm. do for them. So many household daily routines and chores, we do ourselves because it's faster and it's easier. Mm-hmm. But every time we do for children what they might be able to do for themselves, we rob them of that learning opportunity so if we want our children to be able to independently carry their backpack put it on the hook take out their lunch open their snack containers there are ways of embedding those skills in home so that child comes in feeling like a rock star because they already know how to do it it's exactly. not something that they just have to do at school
0: mm-hmm. that's what we do for um snack time here so a parent, yeah. uh, my advice to parents would be every day when it's snack time place that snack like you said in the container and then place it Um, in their lunchbox and they, when they wake up from their nap or after their quiet time, they can get their lunchbox, put it at a place where they have to remember after, after nap or after quiet time is snack time. And that's Mm -hmm. another skill remembering, you know, the, the schedule after, you know, what comes after nap time. Um, and then they get it themselves. And what I even do is, let's say they have a banana, uh, they have to peel it, and then I give them a little cutting board, and they chop it up with a wow. uh, toddler knife because that's it becomes brilliant. an activity. It's an activity, and then they also learn how to, you know, do these life skills. Um, Absolutely. And and that's, I guess, in the whole chaos of everything that's going on right now, the the little bonus or the the beauty of it is the time that we have with our kids. Um, yeah. You know, if we have a meeting in the afternoon, we'll make that snack time and give them little foods that they can cut up, that they can organize in the con- into containers. Like you said, you know, learn that skill of opening and closing that container, put it in the lunchbox. And that's an activity in itself.
1: Exactly. Mm-hmm. And just embracing the challenge, letting children try and struggle and fail yes. and try again is yeah. so important. We will, I think, we as adults, believe that we are the answer to the question that has not yet been asked. We are the solution to the problem that has not yet been realized. (laughs) We know that the puzzle piece doesn't go there. We know that you have to use two hands to open the Ziploc bag, but they don't. But think Mm -hmm. about how do we know that? Because we learned it through experience. We are so quick to hop in and say, no, it doesn't go there or here. Let me Mm -hmm. do that because that Mm -hmm. solves our problem. I don't have to listen to the child whine. I don't have to face my anxiety about my child not knowing something. And we just steal the learning. Mm -hmm. So I think one of the top rules for parenting is be okay with them not being okay. As long as they're safe and loved, let them try. Mm -hmm. Let them fail. Let them learn from that. Learning how to fail is a life skill. And if we try to prevent that from happening, for something as simple as opening a snack container. What's gonna happen when they don't get the grade they want or the job they
0: want? Exactly, yes. And those are the skills that'll make a difference for them later on, yeah. What advice would you give to parents then if their child does struggle with that failure or not being able to do something? If they give up very easily, what can a parent do to help their child?
1: I always encourage parents to model. So model doing something that's hard. Narrate that you're facing a challenge even if you have to pretend that something is challenging. So you take out the canister of orange juice and you pretend that it's hard to open. Ooh, I'm really trying. Let me try it this way. Maybe this strategy will work. So you are literally narrating the thought processes and you're showing children that it's okay to struggle. And then sometimes you just don't get what you want and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember one year I was teaching in an inclusive classroom, so we had children of various abilities educated together, and I like to make the most out of snack and lunchtime. Great time for motor skills, social skills, and language. And I was seated between two boys. On the one side, I have Jack, who's struggling to open his snack container. And on the other side, I have Declan, who is practicing the noticing and narrating strategy. So Declan's saying, wow, Jack, that looks really good. Jack continues to struggle. Wow, Jack, you're really trying hard. Jack continues to struggle. Declan keeps going on. Oh, look how you tried it with that hand. That's great. And then I think Declan reached his tipping point and he swings his (laughs) body around and he says, Jack, you can do it. Miss Rebecca believes in you. (laughs) I I do believe that you can try. I do Mm -hmm. believe that if you absolutely need help, that you are capable of asking. But I Mm -hmm. will not offer that help until you ask for it. Mm -hmm. And wouldn't you know, The container got opened. Children have a self-preservation instinct. They're not going to let themselves starve. They're not Mm going to let themselves freeze. At some (laughs) point, they will, if they have the ability, advocate for what they need. And that's a life skill that they're going to need as they go into school, as they go into the world. So letting them realize the need, letting them sit with the struggle, modeling the courage and the persistence and the problem solving rather than the anxiety and the angst is so important. Mm
0: -hmm. You I, you, I just had another idea in terms of uh, a skill waiting right yes. so <laughs> delayed gratification that that just triggered that memory that is another skill that is really important for kids to learn and I just had a talk with somebody recently about this where if it's not something that's an emergency so if it's not you know they're not asking to go to the bathroom but if they're asking for their 10th snack of the hour (laughs) or, you know, you know that it's not um, an emergency or that they need it right away, asking them to wait, even if they get upset about it. Like you said, we might have to model emotions at some point and we might have to narrate a little bit of what is going on, but allowing them to wait Will be yes. something that is and, and again is is literally um i've seen research on this where guided no sorry the the research on delayed gratification yeah that, that is also another skill needed in school
1: exactly and mm-hmm. longitudinal studies showing that those that can delay gratification short term at a young age have much better life competencies down yes. the line yes yeah I find that waiting and accepting no go hand in hand. And I had one family tell me that their child had knocked down drag out tantrums when Mm -hmm. hearing the word no. So when I came over to play, we took the batteries out of her favorite toy. And then we had to problem solve. Well, what are we gonna do? Did you know that battery operated toys do not suddenly start working if you sing Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, (laughs) feed them gummy bears, tickle them, or cover them with stickers? We (laughs) had to figure that out. And what's Mm -hmm. brilliant is that every time she tried something, the toy essentially told her no. And instead of melting down and losing it, she tried another strategy. She stuck with it. She was patient. She was a problem solver. Her parents were amazed that she was able to get through this level of frustration. And I thought maybe if we use play as a way to practice that skill, then we can generalize it to needing to wait without have anything to engage with. But mm-hmm. just the idea that we're magically one day going to say, No, you need to wait, and they have no way to entertain themselves True. while they're waiting, yeah. they have no sense of time. Um, that can be challenging.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and you, you talk a lot about narrating. And I guess maybe as a parent, who hasn't really been aware of this what advice would you give them in in terms of how to narrate so i know you mentioned the ratio before um in terms of narrating and redirecting can you give maybe a little bit more information about that so that a parent can have those tools next time they play with their child
1: absolutely so when i was a classroom teacher one of my goals was for somebody to be able to stand outside the classroom and know exactly what's happening without looking in the window (laughs) so that might sound like Evan, you are rolling the ball. Look how it bounces. Mary Catherine, you are building a tall tower. Oh, no, kaboom, what can you do? (laughs) So we're literally, we're showing that we're in it with them. I see you, I hear you. So often we add our own opinion to our narration. I like the way you're doing such and such. Mm. Oh, that art is so beautiful. I much prefer and often coach families use open ended commentary. Wow look what you've created. Tell me about it. Mm -hmm. So you're showing excitement, not necessarily commenting your opinion and getting the child to tell you what their thought process was. Or, oh my goodness, it looks like that's tricky. What can you do? Mm -hmm. That what can you do is returning the problem solving to the child. Mm -hmm. I see that you're struggling. I'm here with you. What can you do rather than just fixing it? So it's literally... Wow, you just sprung out of bed. It looks like you're choosing the cowgirl outfit today. Will you get your hat on? Sometimes for children with limited (laughs) language abilities, you're literally having the whole conversation. Um, But it's amazing how children are so much more engaged, verbally or not, when you're narrating what they're doing. At some Mm -hmm. point, they will graduate and have the language and self-regulation to not need that, but it's a brilliant way to invest in your relationship.
0: And you brought up that problem solving, uh, which, again, is arguably one of the most important or one of the (laughs) other important skills that we mentioned um, needed for school. So that would be that would probably fall under executive function skills um, or executive functions. Yes. So executive functions being um, I I guess I like to call it the traffic control center of the brain where it just kind of (laughs) it's kind of talking about flexibility and inhibition and working memory, which are just all terms that all work together to help a child problem solve, remember certain things. So this is used in math and so much. Um, And again, what's what's really interesting is that through narrating, you are showing us that we can develop these skills. If we start narrating with our child. Yeah,
1: exactly. We help children become aware to organize their thoughts, process their emotions and Mm -hmm. plan their behaviors. We're Mm -hmm. modeling all of that through our language and our behavior. That's the essence of executive functioning. And -hmm. so much of what we're talking about, how we learn through play, how we learn through daily activities, while we think it's the ABCs and the one, two, threes and reading the recipe and sorting the toys, it's like you said, the executive functions, the patience, the flexibility, the persistence, the problem solving, Mm -hmm. those are the skills that children need to take out into the world to be able to engage
0: would you say that there's learning to be done uh, in boredom or learning to be had <laughs> in boredom
1: absolutely <laughs> boredom is a blessing again <laughs> we are so goal driven and task oriented that the moment we have quote unquote free time we fill it with some other obligation yes but creativity yes. is born from the freedom to think your own thoughts and feel your own feelings so Yes. Let children get bored. They'll invent amazing things.
0: Yes. And I think we, again, going back to always wanting the best for our children, I think that we sometimes fear that boredom. We don't want them to be bored and we, you know, give them something to do. Like you said, it could be a screen, you know, some sort of screen time or a toy that entertains them rather than them playing with the toy. Um, yes. just because we want them to be entertained but uh, creativity again because we're talking about all these skills that are important for school readiness again backed by research creativity is something that's important for a child to have and plays a huge role in even intelligence um, arguably with some some research but you know it's it's through boredom that we learn to create like you said and imagine, pretend play there's so much learning to be done in pretend play
1: that's what that's
0: all we do in our house (laughs) pretend play all day every single day
1: (laughs) it is absolutely amazing to watch children in pretend play it is Mm -hmm. how they are processing their experience and expressing their emotions so they're imitating what they see around them putting a hat on and holding a bag and saying they're going to work or school or you can see what they're thinking about different roles and different ideas. I have the opportunity and challenge of teaching here in Houston over the course of a three-year period when we had three floods. So wow. families' homes were destroyed over and over again. They were evacuated by the National Guard. Mm-hmm. These children were living in perpetual trauma for three years. Oh,
0: my gosh.
1: Mm-hmm. And I would watch very carefully their play and their art. And wouldn't you know that everything they built got knocked down by waterfalls and rainstorms, Mm. that all of their art had these gushing clouds. And we even had, in the fall, the clouds would roll in and the sky would get dark. Of course, this happened right before our playground time, which is particularly upsetting. But for the children who had really been traumatized, they would stand by the window and whimper. And Mm. one day, one of the teachers called across the room, get away from the window. And the teacher's thought process was, if you're not looking out the window, then you won't whimper, then you won't melt down, then we won't have to deal with the tantrum. Mm -hmm. But that's not how children compartmentalize their ideas and Mm -hmm. their feelings. So I sat next to this child and I said, what's your idea? And he points out the window and he says, where will the birds live? He wasn't crying because it was raining he was crying because he was watching the gardeners prune the trees and just like he lost his house he was Mm -hmm. afraid that the birds would have no place to build their nest Mm -hmm. so this child had come from a place of trauma and grief Mm -hmm. to a place of empathy Mm -hmm. and protection so of course we wrote a story and we wrote a letter to the gardeners and they may or may not have spoken the language (laughs) in which we read the letter but it was cathartic (laughs) for the child and when I called the mom later that day and explained, we cried together on the phone. That was this huge catharsis for him. Mm-hmm. And if we're not watching their play, if we're not watching their art, we're going to miss how they're expressing that.
0: It's true. That That's such a beautiful story that really illustrates the importance of that, you know, the, the creativity and the art and the, the high emotions are expressed through that. Exactly. Yes, yeah. So now what would you... Um, How would you summarize everything that we spoke about and which sort of actionable advice would you give parents who want to make sure that their child is ready for school in September?
1: Perfect question. (laughs) I would summarize this by saying that we have reviewed research that shows that play is directly linked to language development, executive functioning, math and spatial skills, scientific thinking, and social and emotional development. Those are the things that we hope our children will be competent in when they go into school. Our job as parents and carers is to build their confidence in those areas. And confidence comes from connection. So when we are investing in our relationships, when we are understanding the natural potency of play and observing our children, following their lead, building on their interests, and expanding their skills in that way, we are giving them the greatest boost they could possibly have
0: I think that was a beautiful summary (laughs) of everything that we spoke of (laughs) I think we underestimate how important play is and play is not about toys play is I think I want to mention that because it's not about all the toys they have or the best toys or the whatever brain-based toy it 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 pretends to be (laughs) yes it's it's truly about play is about playing with your child um, and what you are doing with them and how they are playing um exactly and and i see so many
1: toys that light up and sing and do your taxes mm -hmm. and give you a massage (laughs) the more i need that one (laughs) yes the more the toy does the less the child does exactly so these it's like single use kitchen appliances they take up your entire counter and you can only use them for one thing Mm -hmm. but open-ended toys blocks and containers and puppets those can be used in any number of ways so we are really building their curiosity and their creativity and their critical thinking by playing with those toys instead of the ones that you only do it one way and then it's done.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I heard um, a, a professor uh, mentioned once that we are born curious, but then when we start kindergarten, it kills our curiosity. <laughs> yes. And that was hard for me to hear because we were in the education department. I was like, "What are you talking about? <laughs> well, how how could you say this about education? We we are here to teach." And um, but this this professor, she was right because it's the way that we've moved towards such a didactic, you know, um, way of learning. And it's not, you know, kindergarten or early grades. We should still be, you know, playing and learning from experience. And curiosity is exactly what. Um, you feed when you're doing this so if you're home right now with your child just again going back to what you said let your child lead the way and and feed their curiosity through their environment and that is what will help them be prepared for school
1: it is so powerful that Mm -hmm. quote from the professor really Mm -hmm. speaks to me in the last few years that i was in the classroom i was in schools that were transitioning from a teacher-directed thematic approach to a child-led project-based approach. Mm -hmm. And many people couldn't fathom, if we give that much choice and freedom to children, what's going to happen to their learning? And the learning just grew exponentially. Wow. When children could ask questions and express curiosity, they wanted to know about dinosaur eggs. So we learned all about eggs in prehistoric times. And we drew our bodies as different kinds of dinosaurs. So we mm-hmm. were learning the science and the history and the math. And it was all based on their interests. And this culminated in them having a sense of ownership of their learning rather than This week, we're going to learn about this topic and this color and this shape and this Mm -hmm. letter, where there's very little buy-in. If we don't follow what children are curious about, how are we ever going to spark that love of learning? They're not going to be able to sustain that for the infinite number of years that they need to learn.
0: Exactly. You know what? Maybe that'll be our next talk. I think it'll be (laughs) the child in school now and and talk about the academic part of it. yes yes <laughs> thank so you teach learn. I know oh you know thank you so much this was I, I really enjoyed our conversation and and as always and um I, I think we have to have a part two of this at some point <laughs> I would love that this has yes. been such a joy thank you again and uh, I really look forward to chatting with you another time <laughs> wonderful thank you To finish off today's episode, I thought I'd give you a few more definitions or examples of some of the terms that we used. So we spoke about the four skills that, according to research, um, a study by Diamond and Lee in 2011, they mentioned that creativity, flexibility, self-control, and discipline were four qualities um, really important for academics. And I want to read a quote from this article so that you can have a better idea of how these skills apply to learning. Children will need to think creatively to devise solutions. Solutions never considered before. They'll need working memory to mentally work um, with masses of data and seeing new connections among elements. They'll need flexibility to appreciate different perspectives. They'll need self-control to resist temptations. Now, working memory is when you have to hold something within your memory for a short amount of time and, and manipulate it sometimes. So if you think of being in a math class in early elementary school, a teacher might say, what is five plus one plus three plus four? you have to keep all these numbers in your mind, in your memory, and add them one at a time and see what the the, the outcome is and then give a response. So that's working memory. Uh, and you could practice that with your children um, at home Um, just doing memory skills bringing them to the grocery store like Rebecca said there's so much learning to be done in the activities and the chores that we do as parents if we include our kids with us rather than asking them to wait um, on the side or to watch television while we finish doing something obviously there are times that we need to do something on our own but try to think of daily activities that you do that you could perhaps include your children um, preparing the grocery list going uh, you know to look in the cupboards and the fridge and seeing what's missing can they remember uh, what you finished off during the week did we finish or eating our carrots um, do we need more milk um, that's problem solving skills too and these are part of the executive function skills bringing them to the grocery store and having them remember three things uh, that are on the list um, these are all ways that you can teach skills to your children without having to worry about, like we said, ABCs and, and 1, 2, 3s, because they will learn that later on. Um, not to say that you can't teach them that. You can count you know, the apples as you're picking them um, at the grocery store. You could uh, look at signs together and ask them to recognize, you know, where's the letter A here in this sign? Or if you're out for a walk and you see a stop sign, where's the letter S? Um, what color is the stop sign? So using your environment as your education environment is is what is key, especially when they're young. And they have a lot of fun doing this. And little simple things that might not seem like something big when they're young, such as waiting for something, are skills that'll make a big difference in their life later on. So if your child really struggles when you ask them to wait for something, having them wait when it's something that's not really important, right? So maybe, like I said in the interview, a snack. Uh, if they already had a snack and you know they're not hungry, then asking them to wait while you finish doing something. Or if you're preparing supper and they keep insisting that they want to eat right now, it's okay to ask them to wait. It's it's a skill. It takes time to learn. And it might be easier to give in as well. But having them wait is something that will provide a skill um, that they'll use the rest of their life. And we don't need to stress about creating activities around learning, just like I said, including them in our activities and our chores, not necessarily giving them chores to do, but including them while we do the chore. That's what will make a difference. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I'll be posting the articles that I mentioned along with a link uh, for a resource that Rebecca left for you guys on my website. So head on to curiousneuron.com and this is episode 13. You can just click on the podcast link at the top of the website and you'll see uh, some resources that you can read up on if you'd like to learn more about all these skills in your children. I'll leave you a resource also for or independent play on this uh, link and if you'd like more advice regarding science-backed parenting come and join us on instagram at curious underscore neuron and you'll see our posts and viewer stories and our quizzes and our poll questions and i love hearing from you guys and learning from you guys so send me a dm ask me a question and i'll try to answer it through my posts or um future podcast episode If you are enjoying this podcast, I invite you to leave a review and to rate it on iTunes uh, or just send me an email at info at curiousneuron.com. Even if you have a question or whatever it is, just to say hello. (laughs) I look forward to speaking to you next time. And until then, stay curious.